Unsilencing Stories is a podcast that reflects the voices of people in small towns and communities in Canada who have lost loved ones to the toxic drug supply crisis. Since 2016, more than 30,000 people have died from fatal overdoses in Canada, and that number continues to climb. The risk in smaller towns and communities is much higher than in urban areas because of a lack of harm reduction services and stigma against substance use and people who use drugs. This podcast is part of a community-based participatory research project facilitated by Erin Goodman, PhD, a faculty member at Kwatlen Polytechnic University in Surrey, BC, along with students Jenna Keeble and Ashley Pokernich. The aim was to assist collaborators in publicly memorializing their loved ones and expressing grief, as well as challenging silences imposed by dominant media organizations and stigma from society against substance use and people who use drugs. We hope these nuanced stories make a clear why the government needs to be doing more to prevent further deaths. Please note, this podcast contains information about overdose death, grief, and trauma that may be distressing to listen to. In this episode, you'll hear Lisa Gunlock speaking with Curtis Rajasik about his friend Michael, who experienced a fatal overdose at age 41. Tell me your first and last name. Curtis, and my last name is Rajasik. Where do you live? I live in Prince George at the moment. Is there one person you would like to speak about? Yes, there is. Uh, and his name is Michael Evans. Okay, can you tell me their age? Uh, he was 41. How good of a friend was he of yours? Um, I've known Michael, knew him for uh, since grade one. So uh, from a very early age, I've known him. Obviously, you knew he was an addict then? Yes, yes. Me and him, we, uh, we both partake in uh, our addictions together. Okay, so when this uh, fentanyl started coming out and were, were you guys around then together yeah um we weren't really using street drugs at that point heroin or any or fentanyl um, uh-huh. at that point we were just on our pain meds from our doctors waiting for surgeries basically both of us we were both crippled right and um yeah we were doing those and um but of course after a while street drugs. that's usually how it is hey more so you you know or curiosity right so when you were using in your first time with him your your friend and you get fentanyl together were you guys aware of the dangers of that drug yeah we were um but it was it wasn't really i guess it really really good a flying yeah i know when did he die from the fentanyl overdose? Uh, it would have been right after his 41st birthday, which was a year, uh, October. Yeah, I remember that. That was a sad day. Knowingly that you lost your really good friend to the fentanyl, what is your very first memory of the day that you found out that your best friend died? It's on Facebook, and there's a posting saying, I'm sorry to hear about Michael. And I was like, wait a second, that doesn't sound good. So I called my mother at the time, and I asked her if Michael was still around, because he had rheumatoid arthritis at the age of 11, and it hit him really quick. I still have his last text message, and I keep on texting that number, even though it's not his number, so I could keep that text going. Spine depleted so much that he couldn't have surgery done on it anymore, so that means he's going to lose his mobility. And... I remember him telling me that he wanted to, you know, if he ever got to that point and couldn't off himself, he wanted me to do it for him because there was no way of living, right? So I think that's what happened. It was like a 
planned thing. It was, it was a planned overdose, I think. He just wanted to not wake up. Okay, I get that. Well, I know I know a few people that were like that, too. That's I do believe that that's why they're not here and I are. How are you doing with fentanyl? Because I know you work at Pounds Frontline, right? And you know a lot of people there. And I know that you probably know a lot more people that you were close to that died of um, fentanyl burritos. A lot of people here in town that I knew that, uh, that are not here anymore. It's like a safe injection site, more than likely. Uh, say a better way to put it. It's a great place to work. It's, it's an awesome opportunity to uh, be able to do that. And, but it's also hard on the heart and the mind of whatever else I'm going through at the time. That one day, like we were working and we had three or four overdose in the four or five hour span. You know, they all made it. That was good. So, but um, it just shows the importance of that place. What is your outlook on fentanyl prices? Finding the north is really far behind compared to, say, the lower mainland in this um, aspect. Um, I don't want to insult anybody when I say this, but it's very conservative. So that means it, like stuff like this is usually shunned upon in that situation. So, you know, it, it's it's awesome to be a part, like I said, of pounds and stuff like that. And, and um, you but, do uh, also other outreach work too. Yeah, yeah. I do. I uh, hand out um, safe supplies at in the evenings, and I um, I'm on a committee with the city, Prince George. So that there, right there, you you put yourself out there to help out with the crisis. That's awesome. That's really awesome, Chris. Kind of going in circles at uh, <laughs> some of those meetings, and it's frustrating, but it's uh, we'll get something done soon here, I think. So. Have you ever been with anybody, though, that, like, overdosed and didn't come back from it? Um, I was, uh, I didn't really know the guy too well, but uh -huh. he was laying in front of, um, actually, your place. Okay. And I came out for a smoke, and of course, I seen like five people just walk around, and, and I can't do that. I at least have to check to see if the guy's breathing. <laughs> so I did, and I could tell when I was walking up, he wasn't breathing at all. There was no heartbeat, so I started CPR right away. Um, somebody else came over with some naloxone, started giving that, and I was doing CPR for about 15 minutes until the paramedic or cop arrived was the first person on scene that finally took over because it was getting a little tiring after doing that because he was a big guy and so it was a lot of work. And how did you feel about that? I've had a lot of people pass away in my life due to a wide range of things and being overseas with the military for a bit was horrible too. So it's not like it didn't phase me. Um, it always does and it always like a little chunky uh, passes away almost, even if you didn't know the person. But I guess I haven't really dealt with any of it, really. <laughs> if you think about it, if I'm like, if I stopped using drugs, street drugs, and got off the methadone program and actually was clean and sober again, like I was for nine years, I would feel these feelings and probably be able to deal with them at some point. So maybe this will hit me like a freight train when I do or something. I don't know. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Unsilencing Stories podcast. To listen to more interviews in the series, please go to www.unsilencingstories.com. 
And if you'd like to share your thoughts on the episode, message us at unsilencingstories at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and please share the project with other people you know.